Hey, y'all. You're listening to How I Got Here with Drina Whitfield, the podcast that dives deep into the unique journeys of some of the dopest entrepreneurs, business leaders, and personalities I know. I'm your host, Drina Whitfield. I created this podcast to have real, honest conversations about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Grab your notebook, sit back, relax, and catch these gems. Okay, so today we are chatting with Ense Ufa, activist, community organizer, and the chief executive officer of the New Georgia Project, who is a 2021 Glamour Woman of the Year and was most recently named one of Atlanta's most powerful leaders by Atlanta Magazine for 2022. Ense, I'm so happy to have you on and excited for you to share your journey with people. Thank you so much for having me, Trina. This is exciting. So before we get to where you are currently, I always like to take it back to when you were in high school. And I want to know, <laughs> what did you write in your high school yearbook when you were graduating? When it asked you that question, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Ooh. So I definitely wrote rap lyrics <laughs> like I want to be super clear that that is how I communicated all of my ideas at that point in my life it was like there was a song there was a bar <laughs> that uh, I could use to to illustrate a point but I, it probably was something now I gotta go find my yearbook but I'm pretty sure it was something about like me being a doctor because I'm a good immigrant kid Mm-hmm. Uh, who made good grades and did what my parents told me. And so at the point and when I was graduating from high school, I had not done the work. I did not have the confidence to sort of narrate my own or write my own path, my own trajectory that was separate for the one that my parents had for me. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, so wait, who was your favorite rapper at that time though? At that time, I mean, I was pretty obsessed with Outkast okay. uh, and the entire Dungeon family. And so the the extended network of Dungeon family artists, so that's Outkast, that's Goody Mob, that's Witch Doctor, Killer Mike, Cool Breeze, and people that most folks have no idea who I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Sleepy Brown. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. Okay. All right. I hear it. And so you were born in Nigeria, but raised in Southwest Atlanta. Tell me a little bit about your family settling into Atlanta. Like what made them choose Atlanta? So my dad uh, went to Georgia Tech. He went to my alma mater. Mm. And my parents were a part of this sort of first generation of, of Nigerians, of Africans who left the country to sort of go get educated like en masse at scale and the goal was for them to return to sort of build the new Nigeria to build the new Ghana etc so that massive brain drain that Africa experienced in the 70s and 80s my parents were a part of that and so dad came to Georgia Tech uh, with some of my uncles and began career as a civil engineer worked in metro Atlanta and Gwinnett County which is why when you 
you look at the population boom that's happening in like the North Atlanta suburbs, I'm like, oh man. And uh, my father predicted this 30 years ago mm-hmm. and, you know, help build the, the schools and the bridges that, you know, people travel on today. But went back to Nigeria to marry my mother and they had a beautiful, bouncing, brilliant baby girl. and uh, my dad was traveling back and forth between Nigeria and the U.S. and then eventually just decided that our family would settle in Atlanta. And so, yeah, that that's basically how we got here. It's funny because it was always temporary in my father's mind. Mm. And I think it was always a permanent move in my mother's mind, <laughs> um, mm. which is probably why they ended up divorcing. But you, <laughs> you ain't asked me all that. <laughs> so you coming here, what, was that like a culture shock to you? It was. I was a kid. Um, I feel like you know, particularly in Black families and African families and immigrant families, like you are a little human, right? Like you're totally dependent on your people for food and shelter <laughs> and nourishment. So it's not like I had a say, right? I was like, yeah, exactly. to be clear, nobody asked me if I wanted to move to Atlanta. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And it's funny too now because, I mean, to be fair, like, despite the fact that, you know, eventually ended up growing up in a single parent home of an immigrant family, an immigrant myself, and sort of dealing with poverty and, you know, in Southwest Atlanta growing up through that, I think that, you know, it was fun. It was cool and it was interesting. Everything felt new. And like, I wanted to consume the world around me. I wanted to deconstruct the world around me. I wanted to understand why people talk like that. (laughs) Why people Mm -hmm. said shoddy, right? (laughs) I wanted this beautiful place that like kind of reminded me of Africa. Like there's been a critical mass of Black leaders and like Black folks in every class, represented in every class in Atlanta for decades, right? And reminded me a lot of Africa, right? With Black Mm -hmm. mayors, Black leaders, Black CEOs, the Black wealthy, as well as Black poverty, um, all sort of existing um, in this one place. Um, So it felt very familiar and also super foreign. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'm, I'm, I was, listen, Mama Ufat had us out here with stewed fish and (laughs) rice. And while my classmates were eating peanut butter and jelly. And so like it invited the conversation. You can't eat fufu in B lunch. (laughs) (laughs) You can't take pounded yam and dip it into igusi soup. Right. (laughs) And like while people eating uh, the the rectangle pizza with chocolate milk (laughs) in a box. You know what I'm saying? So my difference, my otherness uh, has always sort of been front and center. I mean, we got Black Panther now, right? Like it's all Mm -hmm. Wakanda forever now. But like wearing a dashiki and some Payless sneakers to school in the 90s was not it. Um, (laughs) 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 I mean, you know, growth. <laughs> yeah, but in real talk, you was eating good at lunchtime. If you look back, looking right? back, right? That was looking a good back, In '92, I was just I was eating fish. <laughs> <laughs> in '92, she's thinking at the cafeteria. You like? Why can't we just have peanut butter and jelly like everybody else? <laughs> what are you doing to me, fam? 
So, yes. <laughs> and say, I read at the age of 14, you were paged for the Georgia House of Representatives. So <laughs> while people like, while people like me were on the playground playing with Barbies or doing whatever, you were working with the House of Representatives. I'm like, I was. Essay. <laughs> I was. Like, how I, I needed to know involved in that type of work at a at a young age. Like how? Shout out to Georgina Sinkfield. She was a state rep, black woman at the time. Like, man, listen, that black women have been making things happen for me since day one. You know, I, we lived in her legislative district and um, in her house district. And my mother dragged me to an event. So my mom is an activist as well, mm-hmm. right? And so thinking about, you know, again, single mother working like three jobs, but also like wanting to make sure that we were proud of who we are, proud of our culture, making sure that um African immigrants, women that were refugees. My mom also ran a battered women's shelter the whole time yeah, like mom. when I was growing up. So like, you know, riding out with mama at 11 o'clock at night to meet some woman and her children at the quick trip on the corner because they're about to dip. And this is like the scariest time in their lives. They say that like right before people leave an abusive situation, um, it's when they are at most risk for like, you know, grievous harm by their partners. And so, you mm-hmm. know, riding out, uh, being riding shotgun with Mama Ufai and doing this work, you got to meet people. So I got to meet my state rep. And was like, so what do you do? Like, and like, I mean, and how, how are you fighting for us? Right. And like, why should my mama vote for you again? And like, and and what it really was, was that my mama, I saw my mama give her a donation and I was like, hold up. <laughs> I can't go to Six Flags. <laughs> right. Cause you don't got it. <laughs> but you're about to make a donation to this lady. I need to understand what this is about. And she, because, you know, I was this pro- precocious you know, teenager who had questions about government and how it worked and why my mama was uh, giving money to this woman's campaign. She invited me um, to come to the Capitol and really see how laws get made um, and to really see her work up close and personal. And so, yeah, that <laughs> that counting my mama's coins <laughs> is, is how I made my way as a page in the Capitol. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. And I did not think, again, good immigrant kid, I was going to be a neurosurgeon. People don't know this about me and thank God for growth. But Ben Carson was my childhood hero. Mm. And he was everything to me. You know, again, thank God for growth. Right. Uh, (laughs) And so this was something cool and interesting that I like talked myself into because I was being grown, but it was always going to be medical school. So to to be this, to be where I am now is is actually kind of funny. It is because it's like that, that experience, like literally just started you on the path to where, where you are today. Right. 100%. One thing I do want to flag, and I only found this out recently when we were together in Atlanta, is that Oprah paid for you to go to college. She did. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about how that happened. Like, did she, was it one of those things where like, she was like, you get a scholarship, you get a scholarship, you get a scholarship. Basically. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) 
So I was super active with the Boys and Girls Club. Shout out to Whitehead Boys and Girls Club and just the Boys and Girls Club across the country. After school program, right? I was in the Keystone Club and all these like leadership development clubs within the Boys and Girls Club. Super active. And every club has like a youth of the month. Right. So like for your leadership, your service to your fellow club members, et cetera. And then youth of the month compete to be youth of the year. And then when you're the youth of the year for your local club, you get to like compete to be youth of the year for your city and then youth of the year for your state and then youth of the year for the country. And so I became I made it all the way to youth of the year for Georgia. And the year that I was the youth of the year for Georgia, um, all youth of all 51 of us, so all 50 states and DC got invited on to the Oprah Winfrey show. And there were a few of us that were like hand selected to talk about sort of what we had overcome. Right. So we're all like, we're all scholars. Like everybody had a 4.0, basically. We all were like really active in community service, but like a lot of folks had overcome some incredible hardships. Right. So like me being basically like, um, having a mother that dealt with mental health issues, having a young mother that was an immigrant in a country that wasn't her own, right? And having to like be the spokesperson for my family from an early age, kids in the foster care system, right? It just, you know, mm-hmm. people overcoming abuse, et cetera. So we got invited on Oprah to tell our stories, right? Like, you know, how is it that the worst things, all kinds of tragedy had visited you all. And, you know, you're still able to find time to do dope service and, and be good kids. And so we're like there, you know, we get flown to Chicago. We eat this amazing meal. Oprah comes out, you know, I'm getting my face beat. I'm getting my hair done. It's wonderful. And then we think that the show is over. And I guess uh, she had been like raising funds from people across the country. And so with like five minutes towards before the end of the show, she was like, and I'm paying for each of you to go to college. And we were like, what? I (laughs) lost it. I lost it a whole damn fool. (laughs) And it was wonderful. It was lovely. I think that, you know, I was a smart kid. I was going to figure out how to get into college, but figuring out how to pay for it was a whole nother beast. Mm -hmm. And so like having a beneficiary of uh, Miss Winfrey's wisdom of her generosity was super, super awesome. And what's funny, what people don't know is that I would send like a letter or an email every year, like, dear Miss Winfrey, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a junior now, like college is cool. Here are my grades. I'm a Delta now. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? And like never got a response, but I like kept the letter up. And like never knew whether or not they actually reached her or anything. So when she had, when the OWN Network had a show, a like special show for the 2021 runoffs, when Warnock and Ossoff were running for United States Senate. And, you know, I was active in both of those campaigns and, in you know, mobilizing voters to make history with them. She had us on. What did you say? 
I got to tell her directly how grateful I was that she invested in me and invested in my education. And um, I hope she, you know, sees the ROI uh, on her (laughs) investment. I think it turned out pretty good. And her producers pulled up clips and pulled up photos from when I was on her show in 1998. So yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. Did you do uh, a ugly cry when they brought it up? When they brought up the, roll the tape. Did you do I'm a ugly cry? I'm a G, so. <laughs> and I had got my makeup done. <laughs> so it was in there, but it was like right below the surface. I feel like I had to bite the inside of my cheek. Uh, to prevent myself from crying because America was watching. (laughs) And I'm still trying to get chose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't stand. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? There's levels. There's levels to this. Like, yes, we need to raise money. Yes, we need to get Warnock and Asaf elected. And maybe my husband might be watching this live stream. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. I can't. And the one thing that I love, and the reason why I brought that up is because like, I love that you have this custom suit that you had done. And on the inside, it's a bunch of old NSA photos. And one of them is with Miss Winfrey receiving that Scott, like when you were on the show. And I just thought that was like so fly. Yeah, I love it. Um, I mean, I have not done a good job of of like digitizing my photos, right? Like the photo albums and stuff. And like, now Mm -hmm. that I am an adult and I have a house, like I want to make sure that that's one of my projects that I get done this summer. But I made sure that those got digitized, right? Like they will (laughs) not be lost to some flood or whatever. And yeah, that's a part of my story. And again, it's also just a reminder of just planting seeds into fertile soil and pouring into young people and making sure that there's this sort of, our efforts are multi-generational. Listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an Atlanta public school graduate. So you know that, you know, I was raised on a steady diet of Martin Luther King quotes. And so <laughs> one of the famous ones is the arc of the moral universe is long but that it bends towards justice. Mm -hmm. And when people use that quote, normally they are talking about the work, right? The work, what are you doing to bend the art, right? Like how are you contributing to moving the universe towards justice? I tend to focus on the fact that it's long. It's CBS Mm -hmm. receipt long, right? (laughs) King talks about going, you know, he might not make it with us to the mountaintop. And I Mm -hmm. I have that kind of clarity as well, that I am moving the ball down the field, right? That I am a part of an unbroken chain of activists and organizers and people who love Black folks uh, and people who love women and children and the least of us and who advocate and fight for and fight with those communities and that I am a part of, again, of a long unbroken chain and I'm moving the ball down the field that I'm passing. I'm taking the baton from a veteran and running my race and then making sure that there are people that I can pass the baton to uh, who will continue this work after I go and retire or after I transition and become an ancestor. Mm-hmm. So, and say, this is why we need your book and I know you're writing it, but this is also me holding you accountable to get that proposal done. It's Black History Month. Let's, and it's about to be Women's Empowerment and History Month. I just want you to get it started before you 
make any next moves professionally. Because like I said, there are a lot of people out here claiming they do the work, but I see you really doing the work. I mean, you got numbers don't lie. Hello? Yes. True. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, there is there are stories inside of me that need to be told. I need to just exercise some discipline, sit my behind down somewhere and get to writing. Like this just it's just it is a thing that I need to do. But I also just know your schedule is crazy. So like it, it'll happen when it's supposed to happen and it's definitely going to happen. But before we dive into your current role, I want to talk a little bit about your resume because this got titles, honey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so before your current role, you were the assistant accounting director, no, assistant executive director of the Canadian Association of University Teachers and later the senior lobbyist and government relations officer for the American Association of University Professors. And before somewhere in between that, you are a corporate, then labor lawyer, correct? That is correct. (laughs) And say, just tell me, what was your first job out of college? What, like, and what was that like? I want to know how you literally got Mm. from there to Stacey Abrams tapping you to run the New Georgia Project in 2014. My first job out of college was, oh, (laughs) I was a behavioral researcher at Zoo Atlanta in the summer between college and law school. Like I went straight from college to law school. Mm -hmm. But in that summer, we studied animal behavior and mammals, right? And Mm -hmm. I was in the petting zoo. So I studied... um, Human and computer interaction, applied psychology at Georgia Tech. And so, you know, modifying behavior, changing behavior, moving people to action. When I think about it, it has been a consistent thread through my academic career, but also like the jobs that I've had. So law school and then graduated from law school. Again, poor immigrant kid right? Who did pretty well in school. So you go to the highest bidder. <laughs> and so I, my, the, I worked for an energy company that was, you know, probably one of the Midwest's largest polluters and uh, did things that I wasn't exactly thrilled about or exactly proud of, but uh, my name is my name. Mm-hmm. And so everything that I do, I do with excellence. But I also knew that if I was going to show up and go super hard for this corporation, like what would it look like to apply this time, my time, my talent, my energy to something that I actually cared about that could save my life and the lives of people that I love and that I cared about. So I started doing informational interviews and like, you know, taking people out to coffee because you know, <laughs> I was trying to have a whole bunch of these meetings mm-hmm. and uh, ended up meeting a guy who ended up becoming my boss, asked me as the American Federation of State, County and Municipal Employees. And it's a public employees union, got a job in the legal department. That was awesome. And, you know, doing wrongful uh, termination arbitrations and helping people get their job back or if they couldn't get their job back, negotiating some kind of settlement with their employer if they had, you know, violated the union contract or done something wrong. And then realizing real quickly that like, man, I'm meeting people after they have been disrespected, 
after they have been violated. And then we just trying to get scraps, right? And a little bit of dignity after the worst thing had already happened. And so asked to be moved to the organizing department, right? Like I want to help build these unions. I want to help build power. We're not strong enough. And like, while that was interesting and I definitely grew my skills as an organizer, there was something unique about the union members that I was working with at the time. And they were public employees, which meant that they got to vote for their bosses and who gets to hire and fire their boss, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is something that's super uncommon, right? So yeah. the lunch ladies at Cincinnati Public Schools, if they wanted to and they put their mind to it, could get a whole new school board, right? And they could literally get bosses that would treat them with dignity, treat them with respect, who would negotiate with them across the table. And so I actually moved to the political department. Right. And like then I think that things started to click for me. Right. Uh, Leveraging people power right through organizing and through political power to bring about the change that we want to see. And the rest, as they say, is history. Like I took that sort of matrix, that intersection, right, of people power, organizing power, political power, narrative power, narrative change, right, and kept working at that intersection wherever I found myself, whether or not it was with the AAUP in Washington, D.C., right, trying to uh, negotiate for, you know, people who professors who are making minimum wage because tenure isn't a thing anymore and they working at two community colleges and teaching 10 classes a year to try to put together an existence and they own food stamps, right? Mm. Or if it was at the Canadian Association of University Teachers where we were trying to get, you know, universal college and free college like before, uh, you know, folks like Bernie made it a campaign issue in 2016. So, yeah. And... Fast forward to 2013, come home. One of my dearest friends, uh, Lauren Wargo, who many people know as the uh, former CEO of Fair Fight and Stacey's campaign manager, she said, you coming home for Christmas? I was like, have you met Mama Ufat? You know I'm coming home for Christmas. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and she was like, well, I want you to meet this woman, her name is Stacey Abrams. And then me being the asshole that I am was like, ah, no new friends. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, no, 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 you got to meet this state representative. I'm like, "Ah, I'm good. (laughs) And she, I was like, you know, I'm really just coming home to like see my sorors, like, you know, catch up with some old work. (laughs) My ex, uh, hang out with my family. I don't really have time to be meeting with some state rep. And she was like, no, I think you guys should have brunch. And I was like, well, you should have led with that. (laughs) You should have led with that. Of course I'll have brunch. (laughs) You should have led with the food. You should have led with the food. You know me now. Stop (laughs) (laughs) I had lunch. I had brunch with uh, Stacey on New Year's Day 2014. She laid out her vision for the New Georgia Project, what she wanted. There were 1.2 million unregistered but eligible people of color in the state. And she was going to register them all to vote. And the reason that 1.2 million was super important, because at the time, there was like Republicans were consistently winning statewide elections in Georgia by about Mm -hmm. 250,000 votes. So there were literally five times the number of black and brown folks in Georgia who were eligible to vote, but were unregistered. So they weren't participating in our elections at all. Five times 
what was required and necessary to swing any election from president all the way down to, you know, dog catcher in the state of Georgia. And she was like, no one's working on it at scale with intention. And I would like to do so. And I need somebody to run it. And I was like, oh, you're crazy. Let me tell you, uh, let me give you 30 <laughs> reasons why this won't work. <laughs> and uh, she, if you've met her, is brilliant. Is a brilliant human being between her and Lauren. I am convinced that there's nothing that they cannot do. Mm-hmm. And she had 31 reasons why it absolutely would work, right? So I left. I was inspired. I was full. But then I got back on the plane and went back to Canada and left this this crazy ambitious lady, you know, back at the restaurant in Atlanta. Fast forward a few months later, she calls me. She says, it's time. It's time to come home. Wait, who called you? Stacey Abrams just called, like, called you on the phone. I was like, and say, it's time to come home. It's time to come home. Oh, yep. Yep. Come on, job offer. <laughs> right, right, right. And she was like, it's time to come home. You know, how much money do you make? Because again, I was a, I was at the Canadian Association of University Teachers, right, making more money than I ever made, and basically had gone into activist retirement. You know how white people on the internet, when like like when George Bush was getting elected, and like people were deeply concerned about the direction America was going, and they're like, "I'm moving to Canada." Like I had, I, I did that, <laughs> I did that, and so I was good. Uh, and I told her how much I made. And she was like, well, we can't pay you that. But <laughs> this is an idea whose time has come. And mm-hmm. I have no idea. I have no doubt in my mind that we can't, you know, raise that. So I packed up my truck and drove the 24 hours from Ooh. Ottawa back home to my childhood bedroom back in the SWATs, back in Southwest Atlanta. And we started the New Georgia Project the next day. Wow. And so... You know, NGP has registered over 500,000 Georgian voters under your leadership. Why, why do you or how do you think the organization has been so successful with this effort, especially amongst the younger generation in our demographic? Yeah, I think it's because, well, one, you know, we don't think that just because we share people's identities, it makes us experts in the politics of those communities. Mm-hmm. Just because we black don't make us experts in black politics. Just because we're women don't make us experts in women's and gender politics. Just because some of us are queer don't make us experts in queer politics, right? And so we study to show ourselves approved, right? We ask questions. The way I train our organizers is that they have twice as many ears as they do mouths. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we are constantly listening. What do people care about? What are their hopes? What are their fears for themselves, for their families, for their communities? Right. What 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 do they want to see in the new Georgia? And then we work to connect the power of the vote to the change that they told us that they want to see, because that is the thing that's going to get people to come out, even after they steal an election. Right. Even after they break into the Capitol and, and fling poop everywhere and have a failed murder plot to kill the vice president of the United States, right? Mm -hmm. The thing that keeps people fighting for this America is the love that they have for themselves, is the love that they have for them babies. You hear stories all the time about mamas picking up cars off of their kids, right? Like we can do incredible things when we are powered by love, right? Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, it's easier to stoke the, the, to fan the flames of hate and anger. I, it don't take me nothing to tell you all the people, places, and things that I hate. 
I don't have to think about it. It is at the tip of my tongue, ready to go, right? (laughs) (laughs) But it's also not sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can't sustain a whole life, a whole movement based off of anger and hate. It burns hot, but it burns quick. And it burns, but it burns out quick, right? But love is is a well, it's a power source, it's an energy source that you can keep going back to, mm-hmm. right? And so we love ourselves, we love our people, and focusing on voter registration and then being deep voter education, right? We do we we do education around power, we innovate around education, right? Like what are the best practices, right? What are the things that we're learning from gaming as an adult learning tool, right? Play as a learning tool. All of these things, right, are that keep us at the table, that keep us on the battlefield is because of the love that we have for our people. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at NGP you focus heavily on mobilizing and engaging people of color and young people. I think it's a mix of like your personality too, Lindsay, because I think when people meet you, they talk to you, like, and you break it down, I think it's easily digestible for those younger audiences, right? Mm -hmm. So what advice though would you give about taking on activism and movement building to the next young activist of color, especially with all the challenges that we're navigating today? Yeah. One, we have one earth. Ain't no earth two. I mean, I, it might be. I mean, you know, they're, they're doing all this crazy stuff. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Well, we haven't discovered earth two yet. And, <laughs> Elon, and Elon Musk and, and Jeff Bezos not inviting all of us. to. They're rove, not inviting us. <laughs> they're not inviting us to rove Mars with them. And so thinking about, you know, climate, in all that you do. So regardless of like the issues that matter to you, thinking about the environment and the impact it has, I think it's super, super important. And I want to impress upon that to the next generation, even though they get it, it's, it's previous generations that are hostile to it. But like, that's number one. But number two is find your people that there are 100% people who share your values, Mm -hmm. who are deeply concerned about the disappearance of the bees or deeply concerned about AI for good and how, you know, technology is not a neutral actor, right? There are people who are deeply concerned about defunding the police and like state violence against Black folks and, right, not wanting to use our tax dollars. And like, proposing solutions that actually make our community safer. I submit to you that there's an organization and there are people that are already organizing on the issue that matters to you 100%. And that you find those people because there's no superhero, right? Like the way that stories get told in this country, it's often focusing on individual activists and like these heroic things that individuals have done. But real change comes from sustained organizing, organized people and organized resources over time, pushing and pushing and fighting for the country, the future that we deserve. And you can't do that by yourself. You have, you will have competing personal obligations you will have competing professional obligations, right? You will not be able to go to every meeting, to go to every strategy session, to go to every function, to go to every protest. But when you're doing it in community with people who you are accountable to, who share your values, right? You know that like a gospel choir, they can hold these really beautiful notes for a really long time and sing them really powerfully because each individual vocalist is doing their part. 
right? Mm-hmm. So that's my advice to the younger generation. Find your people, find the thing that you care about, the thing that you can't stand to see continue mm-hmm. or the thing that you desperately want to see become real. Organize, get into an organization. And here's the thing, I'm naturally not a joiner. Right. I'm naturally like a butterfly. Right. Like I or a bee. Like I go from flower to flower to flower. I got homies all over the world and all different kinds of sort of friend groups. Right. I'm not a joiner by nature, but I do believe in joining organizations so that we can build power so that as we can fight for the country that our families deserve. Mm-hmm. And that is what I would encourage young folks to do as well. Love that. So let's talk about turning the state of Georgia blue. Let's relive that moment. Right. So I want to know where were you and what were you feeling leading up to that moment? Where was I? Oh, when they called Georgia officially for the Biden-Harris ticket, I was in the back of a lift on my way to a defend the vote rally because them white folks were down at the Capitol with guns. Like that's why the January 6th insurrection was not a surprise to many of us because Mm -hmm. they had already done it at the Georgia state Capitol with their long guns and their fatigues, right? Like just trying to intimidate election workers. And so we had organized with a bunch of different organizations to turn up. It was going to be an in-person like volunteer training, but like also uh, basically getting ready for the fight ahead Mm -hmm. um, because we thought that they were going to try to steal the election. And then it ended up turning into a a black party. (laughs) Uh, And it was lovely. Like there was a DJ, there was music, there was food, like everybody that was like, we were doing our train the trainer stuff. And the idea was like, now what's next? I know that they're going to like call for recounts Mm -hmm. because at the, your folks have to understand that, Seven million people voted in the Georgia elections in 2020. And the margin of victory between President Biden and former President Trump was about just over 11,000 votes, right? Mm -hmm. That's 0.0015 percentage points, right? Like they were, we, I didn't feel any comfort at all. Mm -hmm. Like, I was relieved. I felt vindicated. Like I, the vision that we had, I told you that if you invested in people, if you invested in organizing, if you invested in Black-led organizing, if you invested and campaigned in Georgia's rural Black belt, that you gave us what we needed, that we could deliver the state. I told y'all, right? (laughs) So there was that moment, right? And then the realization that winning begets more winning, but it also begets scrutiny, Mm -hmm. right? And so I knew we had to get ready for the recounts. I knew that we had to get ready for lawsuits. And I knew that we had to get ready for the runoffs. And so I wiled out and had a great time and twerked in the streets of Atlanta (laughs) with this multi-racial, multi-generational coalition of people who like collectively breathed a sigh of relief because it was a Saturday. It was Saturday after the election Mm -hmm. that they called it for Georgia, right? So there was this collective like exhale and I allowed myself to celebrate on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we had a call with our volunteers and our lawyers and we got back to it. And you were like, what's next? Like, we got to get ready for the next, the next. Got right back to it. Yep. That's the thing, like, we live in some scary ass times. Like, even now, just still watching the news and folks, like, just still believing, like, 
the election was stolen as well. So it makes me nervous about the upcoming elections and makes me nervous about midterms. And what, like, so how are you feeling as we get ready to gear up for midterm elections? I mean, I'm excited. I feel like I'm looking forward to another opportunity to test our theory of the case. Mm -hmm. Like we've talked a lot about misinformation and disinformation and the impact that it has on how people process, you know, news about elections, government, COVID, the vaccine candidates, all of that. And the differences in how it impacts people in different generations, how it impacts people of different races. And so we have developed a lot of insight around that, um, that is informing our messaging and our organizing. And to be honest, like, I feel like we are the last line of defense. Like we are holding the line from a full descent into sort of uh, you know, authoritarian rule. Mm-hmm. This current version of the Republican Party has no interest in governing. They are the party of no. They're just here to break some shit. That's <laughs> and I'm and, and I'm tired of trying to find different and creative ways to say it. And so I feel super liberated in this moment to say what I mean and mean what I say. And because of the work that we have done that got us to this point, I feel like I have earned the trust of our donors and stakeholders and elected officials, and more importantly, our communities and my team, so that we can get loose and get entrepreneurial and get creative with how we fight back in this moment. And so I'm excited, you know, you know, more than anyone, we're headed to South by Southwest to debut, you know, a video game. We are releasing our first video game, right? And again, it, it's it's not anything like super sophisticated, but it is designed to get into the phones of the nearly 600,000 people that we've registered to vote so that we can remind them about, you know, requesting an absentee ballot, where their polling location is, who to call, should they run into issues on election day, all of that, right? And so we are getting loose out here with how we fight because it feels like if we don't do something, this could mean the end of American democracy as we know it. And it's not going to happen on my watch. Come on. Come on, NSA. Restoring the faith, okay? Because <laughs> look, a lot of folks out here are scared. I was one of them. Like, I legit was still, and you know, sometimes I still am. But, you what know. What did Auntie uh, Ayala say? Not on my watch. <laughs> 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 Yo, you are a fool. <laughs> uh, but honestly, I'm really excited about um the video game. I think it's gonna be dope. And I'm hoping we can get some good traction and awareness around it to get more folks signed up to even like, you know, download it to their phones. So then you could have that information and that access to them, especially that that young demographic which is, mm-hmm. you know, the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. So, but now that y'all have mobilized more than 500,000 voters outside of the video game, like what's the next goal? 
Well, definitely more video games, but, you know, running people for office, right? I'm super excited about, you know, the new more, uh, the new mayor, LaRonda Patrick in uh, Warner Robins, Georgia, unseated a, a, a decades long incumbent old white dude uh, to become the first black woman, the first woman uh, to be governor of that town. And Warner Robins is next to Macon. It's like the heart of Georgia. It's the geographic center of Georgia, but also the heart of the black belt. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, thinking really, really thinking about how we build power. Like, so it's video games, it's 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 running candidates and, and making sure they win progressive candidates, young candidates, queer folks, right? Going to places, it's still a ton of places in Georgia that are majority black or majority black and brown has never had a black mayor, never had a Latina serve on the school board, mm. right? So we're continuing to make history in those places as a way to build a pipeline. Right. So that uh, when it is time for uh, President Abrams, right, that there's also, (laughs) right, that there's also, you know, governors and city council folks and mayors that are ready to like step into those leadership roles. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm super excited about that. Uh, And then, yeah, excited about, you know, doing cool and interesting things on social media, trying to get our TikTok interns off the ground, our TikTok turns. off the ground so that we can do these, you know, just impactful, have these impactful conversations and interventions. Like this is what people are learning about the world around them, mm-hmm. right? Like I can, TikTok tutorials are a thing. And so we want to um, innovate in that space as well as public educators. Got it. So you do a lot of impactful, engaging work. And so I know you're, you're I know I've seen your schedule and I know it's, it's wild. Take us through a day in the life of the CEO of the New Georgia Project. Like, what's the the schedule looking like today and even tomorrow and say? I mean, it's just, it's a lot of meetings. Uh, I mean, we are in a virtual world now, although, like, I mean, I tell people all the time, Atlanta is never really closed. Like, it ain't. It ain't, y'all. It ain't. <laughs> out there. I'm so sorry, y'all. And I know <laughs> the people who come down from New York are like, what is this? Definitely people were like that a few weeks ago. We were definitely right. like that. <laughs> Naked faces. <laughs> yeah, out here. There is often donor meetings trying to explain what we're doing with their money so they can keep giving it to us. You know, often um, working with the senior leaders in the organization to have strategy that we have 11 issue campaigns running simultaneously at all times, right? So by voting initiative and brothers engagement, that's our specific black male engagement work, right? So research campaigns, all designed to like work with black men to articulate what their political priorities are and then to work with them to make them their our reality, right? There is uh, Oasis, our aging seniors in society. Just because you turn 65 don't mean you stop being political, right? And so we, we seek to have a political home for seniors, right? A, they're super voters, right? So like they go and vote, right? And so what else are they going to do, right? Like Again, just because you're 65 doesn't mean that you stop organizing and you stop caring to organize. So we want to make sure that our movement spaces are truly multi-generational, right? You know, Amplify is the campaign that we're a part of. But internally, we say abortion isn't a dirty word. 
right? And so the mm-hmm. idea is, but specifically, we work with immigrant communities, particularly African and Caribbean, Black immigrant communities, Muslim communities, to talk about reproductive health care as a part of health care, right? So everything from fe- female genital mutilation, right, to abortion and everything in between and birth control pills and all of that, like destigmatizing that in communities of color, particularly Black communities, particularly Black immigrant communities. So we're going to go to where our people need to be. And I have my hands, uh, maybe like not my whole hand, maybe like a pinky nail in all 11 of our campaigns, but making sure that our leaders feel supported, that they have what they need, that I have what I need so that I can articulate the status of our campaigns, like let stakeholders and donors and people who need to know, know what's going on so that we can fight, we can continue to fight and that's so we can eventually win. Let me ask you this. When you started as the CEO of New Georgia Project in 2014, how many back in your mama's uh, house in your bedroom, (laughs) right? (laughs) How many employees did y'all have at the time? In 2014, mm-hmm. it was one, me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we now. worked, and now we are uh, about, uh, or about 120 permanent full-time employees. And then our temporary campaign staff and our canvassing staff range on the low end, which is kind of where we are now, about four to 500. And on the high end, 11 to 1,200. Like, and that's, you know, in the days, weeks, months leading up to a big election. Okay. Do you ever sit back? I mean, first of all, I want you to brush your shoulders off real quick. Okay. <laughs> but do you ever sit back and look at like the growth and like the impact that y'all have had, especially with you at the helm of it. Like essay, you got a hundred over a hundred full-time employees. Yes, man. Listen, they got matching 401ks. They all got health insurance, dental and vision. Come on, right? we got an a, a EAP, right? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> uh, you know, you can go, you can go see a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm actually really, really proud of the work that we've done and the kind of careers that we're creating. And that was one of our ambitions. Like that was articulated early on, right? Mm-hmm. Is that the, I wanted to be able to create a, a movement home, a political home for folks. I wanted to be able to, I left Georgia because I didn't think I'd be able to do this kind of work in my home state, right? Like, no, that, mm-hmm. you know, even though that, again, Black people were powerful um, and in positions of power, you know, there is a whole thread that of, of leadership in Georgia that thinks that Black capitalism is going to save us, mm-hmm. right? Like that basically, if I get my paper up, that that's actual liberation for the people, right? And it's like, no. I mean, can you point to a time in history where that <laughs> ever was the case, right? Because I can't, right? So yeah, super proud of it. And it was always the goal. It was always the ambition to train, to hire, to educate, to train and deploy a generation of operatives who knew how to run campaigns and win campaigns who were from Georgia, who were from the communities that we organized with, who loved us, right? And who were accountable to us, who knew what the issues were. And yeah, that dream has been realized. Love it. A few quick fire questions because I know we're running out of time, but I definitely want to ask you these just so I feel like people could get to know you a little more. Because Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we just started working together, but honestly, what I've 
thought I would meet when I met and say it's not who I met. And I love it. So I want people to get to know this side of you too. Okay. So if you weren't the CEO of the NGP, what would you be doing? I would be a plus size yoga influencer on Instagram. (laughs) Your girl is bendy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, I got to get to this. (laughs) What's a song people would be surprised you know all the lyrics to? Like every single word. It ain't no fun. (laughs) What's one fun fact about you? Um, I speak five languages. How many pairs of glasses do you currently have? 30. I can't. Who is your favorite? Who's your favorite rapper right now? Ooh, I am uh, obsessed. Okay. So they're both Georgia rappers. Uh, one is a, a woman named Big Lotto. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and then the other one is a duo called Earth Gang. They went to okay. my high school. I mean, like 10, 15 years after me, but Earth Gang. They are incredible. Yeah. Okay, who are you taking in a versus if it were New Atlanta versus Old Atlanta? Uh, huh. <laughs> I mean, Old Atlanta. Old Atlanta uh, set the foundation for it all. Uh, and like Old Atlanta created like all of us, all of this, right? <laughs> and I also feel like people don't get like how many people are actually from Atlanta. We're doing a little research project, like a homecoming kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we talk about Kanye was born in Atlanta. Kelly Rowland is from Atlanta, right? Like on and on and on. There's so many dope people that are dev- like <sighs> Julia Roberts, Atlanta, right? Really? <laughs> um, yes. Well, Marietta, right? But like it's 15 minutes away. <laughs> I, I don't play about the borders either. <laughs> she from the suburbs, but she counts. <laughs> if Migos counts, right? Because they're from the suburbs too. They're from uh, Gwinnett County. Then Julia Roberts counts. Okay. I hear you. Okay. She's still Atlanta. Okay. Well, Ensei, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can everyone find you on social? How can they get involved with NGP? Let's just lay that all out right now. Yes. So I am at Ensei Ufot, so N-S-E-U-F-O-T on Twitter. And I'm um, at Ensei Ufot 404 on Instagram. You can find me there or you can find me at EnseiUfot.com. That's a thing now. I, I always forget that's, I have a website. That's a site, okay? <laughs> I, can't, I can't forget. I gotta, oh, don't yell at me. Uh, please, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to do better, I promise. <laughs> EnseiUfot.com, where you can get all my socials. And then New Georgia Project. We're New Georgia Project on all of the sites, on all of the platforms. Come. Uh, we would love... You need a political home. Everybody needs a political and organizing home. It doesn't have to be the New Georgia Project. I would love for it to be, right? That we need your time, your talent, your treasure, as they say in the Black church, Uh, (laughs) as we sort of work to build the country, to build the future that we want to live in. Yeah. Come check us out at newgeorgiaproject.org. Love it. And say, I can't wait to see what's next for you. I can't wait for this book to drop. I'm really excited about all of this. I just, I need to sit down somewhere. And I'm really hype about this video game and especially about it, you know, unveiling at South by Southwest, which I know we're trying to plan something dope. So I'm excited for you. Yes. Thank you you very much. Thank you. 